Welcome back to the In The Lead Show. My name is Jennifer Sang, and you're listening to episode number 28. In today's episode, I talk to Jordan Brown, who is a mental health advocate, writer, and entrepreneur. He and I met over Twitter over the last year or so, and I just love Jordan's authenticity, his vulnerability, and his just way of being and how he expresses himself um, in different communities and how he talks about mental health. Um, He's been writing and building online communities to make mental health more accessible and meaningful since 2016. He's the founder of the Mental Health Update, which empowers values-driven individuals and organizations through relatable mental health content, SEO, and consulting. Now, Jordan does a number of different things, but he has been a real advocate for people who want to get to know their mental health more. And he's done a lot of great work. And I'm really excited for this conversation because today we'll be talking about obsession and how obsession might show up in leadership and how obsession might actually be a powerful tool in leadership. But just like everything else, there's a balance. And I think it's about how do you develop that mindfulness to use obsession as a powerful skill to keep you committed to um, a project or your team or something that's really important to you and becoming obsessed with the process. I often say falling in love with the process is really what gets you the outcomes that you're looking for. It's not necessarily about the outcome itself. It's about falling in love and almost developing that energy of obsession around being committed to whatever it is that you're working on or whatever is most meaningful to you. So we have a really great dialogue today. I'm really excited for this conversation to come out. A little bit more about Jordan. He is formally trained as a social worker, and he considers himself a mental, uh, his mental health struggles and open heart surgery the greatest, most life-affirming lessons of all. You can, can connect with him through his website, weekly mental health email newsletter, The Mental Health Update, at www.thementalhealthupdate.com, or you can connect with him by emailing him at jordan at thementalhealthupdate.com. I will make sure to put all of these links in the show notes today so that you can connect with Jordan. You can also find him on LinkedIn, Twitter, you know, all the usual places. So that will be in the show notes. And before we get started, just want to remind everyone that there is an In The Lead show newsletter that I send out weekly with weekly tips and just my perspectives and uh, and thoughts on you know what's going on in my life and what I'm observing and as I'm talking to leaders what are they kind of talking about so that goes out every week um, on Thursday same time actually as the podcast on Thursday and yeah I share different mindfulness tips sometimes leadership tips so make sure you go and subscribe to that you can find that in the show notes and if you want to leave a comment or rate the show. If you like what you hear, I would love wherever you're listening to this on Apple podcasts or Spotify or Google, wherever you find or listening to your podcast, please give it a, give it a rating. We'd love to know how things are going and yeah, I'm really looking forward to this conversation and I think you guys will really like it too. So welcome to the show. Welcome back to the In The Lead Show. My name is Jennifer Sang, and today I am joined by Jordan Brown, who is a mental health advocate, writer, and entrepreneur. 
He's been writing and building online communities to make mental health more accessible and meaningful. He's the founder of the Mental Health Update. Welcome to the show, Jordan. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I really appreciate the invitation. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things that, you know, struck me right away about you was you are very vocal on Twitter about mental health. And that's something that I am also passionate about. And I was excited when we could connect and you accepted this invitation to come on my podcast. So thank you for doing that. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think my mental health tweets are often the, the one of the first ways that people learn about me. And I'm sure you, when you first see it, you, you might wonder, what is this guy doing? But I, I really have been tweeting probably at almost every day since 2016. It's just something I really care about. Yeah, I can tell. I mean, you're very consistent and you're very present on social media. And I like also with your tweets, they're a little bit edgy in a way where it kind of gets you to stop, right? Because there's so much noise on Twitter. So much noise. You got to kind of break through that. And I've always appreciated that about you as well, because I myself, I I call myself a recovering, um, I'm a recovering I don't know how to say this. I, I used to be a very edgy person, like really, really okay. edgy. I'm gotcha. kind of like, whoa. Um, so I, I always, I have a, a special kind of place in my heart for when I see edgy content, I'm like, oh, that's like speaking right directly to me. It's interesting that that's your take on it, because I guess it. W- I, I can say it didn't come naturally. And it's part of my progression just in where I am now that I, I love mental health. I love writing, you know, and I've been writing about mental health first on medium starting in 2016. And I learned that it's not enough to just write. You actually kind of need to be a marketer too, which I don't love, but I think you could be an ethical marketer and that's what I'm trying to be. Yeah. So you do kind of have to have an angle when you're writing, yeah. whether it's a blog post or an email newsletter or a tweet, you have to have an angle so that it breaks through the noise. Like you said, yeah. But what I love also is it's authentic and it's genuine and that, you know, comes through as well. And I just, I I love your content. So I'm excited for you to be here. And maybe before we get started on our topic today, we're going to talk about obsession, especially Mm -hmm. obsession in leadership. But before we get started, would love to know just a little bit more about you. So who, who's Jordan Brown? Ooh, that's, it's, it's a good question because I'm still figuring that out every single day, but as of late, I'm a, uh, I'm uh, not as of late. I've been this way my whole life. I'm a, I'm a weird guy that why you guess you could say just has been embracing his weirdness more and more as he gets older. And now I'm uh, <laughs> fully comfortable with it or as close to comfortable as I could be at this point. And, and that also, I think that acceptance leads to me being a lot happier because I have, I have dealt with my share of mental health issues. Um, it's how I got into the mental health field. You usually have a personal connection, right? Um, my first, it was my mom who had a serious mental health crisis and and then I, after heart surgery in 2012, had a, a mental health challenge, very serious mental health crisis, you could say, after that. So mental health is, is behind it all. But, but right now, I'm, I am the founder of the Mental Health Update. That's what I do now. I'm self-employed. And what that means is I provide search engine optimization and uh, business consulting and operations consulting for a number of clients. And it's, it's, I think we'll get into it when we talk about obsession. It's just a number of things I'm really, really passionate about that have all coalesced into what I'm doing right now. That's awesome. That's really cool. And I'm curious, you know, just staying on the mental health topic just for a minute, what are some things that you've learned about yourself through your own mental health journey, maybe as it pertains to Hmm. leadership. Right. 
It's a good question. It's something I think about all the time because I, I, I'm constantly uh, asking myself questions. Uh, I, I guess I didn't realize maybe other people do this, but uh, I, I think it's a little bit strange in the sense that I'm ever since I was a kid, I was kind of just like talking to myself in the form of questions because I, I can't visualize, I don't have the ability to visualize images in my mind. So I'm constantly talking and using uh, words. Maybe that's why I like writing so much because of how I interact with, with uh, the world. But I think it's that process, uh, always a process of learning about myself in that uh, I think you have to know yourself to know what you're capable of and to know what, what you really bring to the world. I think that's number one. Um, and, and, and I didn't really lean on my strengths and who I was uh, in high school and, and co college, even after college, because just, I guess, just men in general, boys are taught to be a certain way and, and they're, you're indoctrinated to be strong and not have certain emotions. And I know now that I've always been a sensitive, anxious person. I have OCD, I've been diagnosed with that. So I have these traits that are just part of my personality. And before I would say I was fighting them and I, I, I was just trying to get rid of them. But as I've gotten older, halfway through my twenties and then now I'm, I'm 34, I was in the last 10 years, I've really been accepting that and, and using my strengths as, as a source of leadership, you could say. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's so, that resonates so much with me when I heard you talking about kind of acceptance and, yeah. you know, really accepting all parts of us. So I also have suffered, you and I talked about it, um, about anxiety and at times in my life, I've had panic attacks and, it's frightening. And, you know, society as a whole for sensitive people in general, mm -hmm. it's not a very friendly place. I mean, even thinking back through, you know, how school is structured and how um, the workplace is structured, how families are structured and how just as a society, um, we aren't very open and accommodating to people who are just naturally more sensitive. So what happens, at least for me, was I would be tuning into all this sensitivity that I had throughout my entire life and thinking, Oh, something is wrong with me. And people don't like it, right? Most people right. are like, Oh, you're sensitive. That's weird. Or, Oh, you need to stop that. So you think, oh, okay, now there's really something wrong with me. People are telling me that. And now I need to somehow find a way to push it away or, you know, keep it in, but somehow kind of try and really forcefully like conquer it and even resist it in a lot of ways, like you said. And for me, right. what I found was that almost like fueled the, it does. the anxiety, especially with anxiety that almost like you're pouring kerosene on the fire and you have, you feel like you're the only one, which is one of right. the reasons why I love what you do, because it's telling people, Hey, you're not the only one, like we're uh, all, yeah. you know, suffering from something. And a lot I, of us. I, yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah, I want to go off of that because I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I think if if all we did were uh, just make it more uh, common to talk about mental health, we'd be doing a great service to the world. Um, I, I, I'm not, I'm trained as a social worker, but I'm not working in the mental health field now. But when I was working with clients, simply just letting people know they're not alone, or I dealt with something or someone in a group, maybe in a group therapy session that I was leading that trying to get everyone to talk about something and that they've been through just that, like, uh, feeling of being known in front of other people is so powerful. And, and we don't really get that. And I want to get, I want to address what you were talking about, your sensitivity and anxiety. 
I, I grew up with anxiety and my parents were great parents and uh, they were both teachers, but they didn't have the vocabulary to talk to me about my feelings. So I just remember one, one quick story is that we had moved from one town to another town about 45 minutes away when I was, I think, fifth grade. And I all of a sudden had this irrational fear that we were going to get robbed. We were in like a cul-de-sac in the most like the nicest place ever. So I, of course this is irrational, but I would come home immediately uh, get out my, my bag and start doing my homework on the front step uh, right by the door in case I needed to like bolt out the door, not thinking like yeah. maybe someone would come to the front door. It didn't make sense. But yeah. my parents just, they, instead of wondering if maybe something was wrong or if I needed to be comforted in some way, they said, oh, that's so great. You just, you love doing your homework right away. You're getting it done. You're such a good student. And I was, I've always done very well in school, but I just wish I had other terms to, to realize what was going on. I was never taught about mental health. We didn't have any mental health. I think we had one half class one day about mental health uh, in yeah. all of my middle school and high school career. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, it just was strange that something that we all have, that is just such a fundamental part of our like human experience was never talked about when I was growing yeah. up. I, I agree. I mean, same. I mean, I can think of, yeah, maybe one, one class, one day of one class, maybe addressing or kind of touching right. on mental health. But other than that, it's like not talked about, or it's in your, your case, I, you know, heard your parents trying to be supportive. Right. True. And, oh, wow. You know, but you, you're right. I mean, we're kind of, um, neglecting to really validate what the person is going through, because unless we can say, Hey, I can, I can tell you you're a little anxious right now. Is there something that you need or, but even right. just saying those words, right. Like in right. some even way validates it, them bringing that, yeah. that word anxiety to the forefront, that, that, that would have been nice. You know, I didn't yeah. have those terms to talk about in the first place. Yeah. And for me, one of the scariest parts for me was with panic um, attacks, because like you said, you literally, it's completely irrational. So mm -hmm. anybody who's like not going through it doesn't really get it, but you have this very deep sense of like, imminent doom, like something is sure. going to happen. Like you are literally going to die. Like I can remember, I was telling you before that I had went to the emergency room on numerous occasions and insisted to them, I was dying. Something mm -hmm. was wrong with me. And they did all the tests. They did all the, and basically we're just like, well, you know, I think it's mental. Um, I remember I'll never get being told that. Cause I thought, oh, wow. So now I'm really messed up because it's <laughs> mental, right? You know, we, and I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I had knew nobody, nobody else who had the same, you know, these random kind of triggering feelings that were so overwhelming. I couldn't even, but isn't that such a shame though, that, yeah. it, that mm -hmm. you associated mental with negative when it's just mental, mm -hmm. it's a word mm -hmm. we wouldn't, we wouldn't say physical. Then all of a sudden the doom and gloom, like, oh no, my body is going to fall right. apart soon. But yeah. I remember giving a presentation to uh, professors and social workers when I was in grad school at Virginia Commonwealth University, and I was talking to them about how you can build maybe uh, an online portfolio, and you can actually do a lot online that you should probably should be online. Professors mm -hmm. didn't really care. They didn't think it was going to be a thing, but here we are. It's still, right. still important to be on social media <laughs> as, a, right. as a social worker. And I remember, shoot, I, I forgot where I was going with this, but I remember that, what was the thing you said right before this? Just um, well, I was talking about panic disorder, mental, oh, um, the being... physical, mental dichotomy yeah. where mm -hmm. I searched for physical health, you know, right before the presentation. And it was lots of little kids laughing, playing in gym class. And then I searched for mental health 
And at that time on Google, the results were all about suicide and you're going to, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to die. Like you, you might need help. And that was just searching for mental health. So mm -hmm. th there's just this, this strange stigma still that yeah. just the term mental is used in a very different way from physical. Yeah. And, and I think this might be a good segue into our topic of obsession, because I can remember with also the other thing that comes along with the panic attacks, it's not just about that event or that moment. It's about now you associate and almost become a bit obsessed over, yeah. oh, that one thing triggered that panic attack. I can't go back to that store. I can't go back to that place, or I can't talk to that person because you're living in fear that the next panic attack is coming and you're trying to almost control your environment so that that doesn't happen. And yeah. I remember being very obsessed with it, thinking, oh my God, I can't, I can't go back to that one place that triggered this attack. Like I just can't. And I became almost that also fueled the anxiety, right? And then anxiety is kicking in and you're getting really anxious mm -hmm. and nervous about ever being in that situation again. And so obsession can be, to me, it feels like this double-edged sword. Like For sure. it can, like on, if you're imbalanced from maybe more of that def deficit mindset, it can be very debilitating and um, anxiety inducing and keep you, prevent you from maybe um, doing things that might be good for you or things that you want to do, or right. maybe you're too fixed or stuck on something when you need to move, you know, move forward, move on. Or, you know, on the other hand, I think it can be a really powerful tool to help people tap into their passion and their potential yeah. because it's, it almost feels like the same energy to me, if that makes sense. I don't know how any of that resonates with you, but no, it totally resonates. I, I think, I think that's a very evolved perspective. I think you're weighing two different sides of the same coin, right? Together. And right. I agree with you on that. I first, I think like you thought of obsession as immediately negative, like so many terms and you still see it in, 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 in social media and different places where uh, people use the emotional, uh, latency that is behind a word and they know that's going to get a response, but there's actually, the, the world is, is so nuanced is why I have to give longer answers when people sometimes ask, why well, I just want one or two words. I just can't do it. It's not, yeah. it's not me. So I, I, I obsession for me. Uh, and when, when I was at my worst and dealing with anxiety and OCD, it was a bad thing. Uh, like mm -hmm. standing in front of the mirror for an hour, picking at your skin, that's not a good thing. And, and you're performing compulsions, picking at your skin to try to release some anxiety. That, that is, that's a very bad side of obsession. But uh, me loving writing so much and loving search engine optimization that I'm waking up and looking at rankings and thinking through my strategy with a cup coffee in the hand, in my hand, uh, yeah. for a lot of people, that's really weird. And, but I've also gotten clients who love that. They think that's, yeah. that's me, that they, they know I'm being honest when I say I really do wake up and I like looking at the rankings for these different sites yeah. that I'm working on. Um, that is, yeah. I think, a version of a healthy form of obsession. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, you always have to be asking yourself, am I still able to do my daily activities? Am I functioning on a daily basis? If anything, uh, like even if it were checking SEO rankings, that could be unhealthy too, if it's preventing you from doing other things. So you, you constantly have to be asking yourself questions like I, I'm so want to do, and you have to know yourself. You have to know, is this writing and this working on search engine optimization, is it giving me energy? For me, it gives me energy. It's this kind of thing I can do all the time and not get tired of it. For someone else, it might be horrible. You just really have to come back to who you are and, and, and how you operate. Yeah. I love that you're pairing that with curiosity because I feel yes. like anytime we compare, 
you know, a lot of different traits with curiosity, it adds a whole nother element. It kind of shifts you from that kind of reactive, maybe habitual pattern that you have of maybe you are Mm -hmm. like really obsessing about picking your face. And is that like, by the way, is that like an anxiety thing? Because I tend to sometimes like to relieve the anxiety, want to pick at my face, but never really notice. Like, is that like an actual, like, do a lot of people have what is the, so this is bad that I, I'm not gonna remember the exact acronym of what they are, but they're body repetitive and there's at the end of the, so body repetitive behaviors. Um, mm-hmm. If you just search that, you'll find all these, but they're, it, so it's actually, it's linked to anxiety, but they're their own um, kind of diagnoses, uh, mm-hmm. diagnoses now too, like trichotillomania, pulling out your hair, um, yeah. dermatillomania, picking at skin. So okay. it, it's definitely, you could think of it being lumped into that greater category, but they're, they're mm-hmm. go down these, uh, they can go down a narrow channel too. Yeah. And, and you would be surprised to how common they are. You mentioned that you didn't know anyone who had gone to the hospital since me t- just telling my stories for years. So many people tell me how they went mm-hmm. to the hospital for, for anxiety when they thought yeah. they were dying or they, they pick their skin, they pull out their hair. Um, mm-hmm. It's just so shameful to so many people mm-hmm. that we don't talk about it, but because I'm now comfortable, I'm at that point where I can authentically really share my stories and, and I've, I've done the work, I've processed it. Um, I think it, it gives people a feeling of safety to come forward and share their own yeah. stories. So no, that's, that's beautiful. That's beautiful that you can hold that space for people because it is quite a terrifying feeling and a shameful feeling, like you yeah. said, to feel like, Oh, well, there's something wrong with me. And then they say it like, and, and when they say mental, I feel like whenever I'm, you know, in the presence of a traditional doctor MD, and when they refer to mental, it's almost like, well, it's kind of that other stuff that, you know, we don't really work with, but you know, it might be kind of this woo woo, like, you know, you might want to get that looked at, but not, not here, not with me. Right. But right. it might be mental. Right. And we what, can't deal and what with a that. feeling that yeah. produces in you to have a doctor right? saying respect say like, Oh, you're, I'm not, I, I can't even work with right. you. So when I trust you, I have to go to another kind of scary doctor. Right. Oh, that even fueled I, my anxiety. It's like, oh, and I've it. had experiences like that. I've had experiences mm-hmm. where uh, doctors, whether through their own shortcomings or biases, they didn't want to address what I was dealing with. When I was dealing with major, major depression and not sleeping for, for months and months and months, mm-hmm. I went to the state health clinic. So I was a state employee in Montana. And I remember just going in for something. I think it was to talk about my lack of sleep. But then I saw in the questionnaire, you know, those two questions that say, have you been feeling down for a period of more than three months? Have you been, their depression questionnaire, like check, you check the boxes right. to see if you're depressed, essentially, the screening questionnaire. And I knew this because I was a mental health advocate at that point, And I had volunteered for NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. But I get into this doctor's office and I really like this doctor. I, I had known him for about a year. And he did not even address those questions. He kind of danced around them. And he said, because I was so high achieving, he said, well, well, I'll just give you sleeping medicine. And you're just probably a little stressed out. And I was in the awkward position of trying to fight back saying like, no, I think something's wrong. Like, I think I'm depressed. And he just gave me all this medication that actually made it a lot worse. Uh, there was one like autism med that I don't know why he gave me that, that, gave, that led to suicidal ideation, made it so much worse. But it, wow. it, was a, it was a bad time. And it's just one of many experiences yeah. where I think, if that doctor had been a little bit more comfortable talking about mental health, would I have ended up in the position I was in? And I just don't know. It makes me yeah. wonder though. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I feel like that was my experience too, with going in to see a neurologist and just being told like, Oh, you know, we'll give you some Paxil and we'll give you sure. this other kind of anti-anxiety medication. And I wanted to say like, no, I feel like there's more going on. Like, it's not necessarily about me, like being unable to just 
handled day to day. It was like, I just had this really deep sense right. of like, no, there's some, there's more to this. And I just, I, you know, I wish 20 years ago, somebody would have just stopped and said, Jen, go seek, you know, a mental health professional, go talk to somebody. Um, you're not alone. Right. And it's okay. Yeah. It's not scary. It's not something you need to be afraid of. Um, so I'm really glad that you and I both get to, Same, you know, right. advocate and others out there in the space, because the more we can talk about it, the more we, more we can normalize it. Right. And you and I both. I, are I, yeah. I definitely think today. you're a kindred spirit. I, I think that's, yeah. that's why I connected with you on Twitter, because I see that you really care about this and it's why I can tweet every day. And that it doesn't feel like work because I remember how much pain I was in. Like depression is by far the worst thing I've ever been through. Like wanting, wanting to and your life, I can't imagine anything, anything worse than that. And I wish someone had just been able to talk to me about it and say, Hey, go get some help instead of me, you know, calling my parents crying, wondering what's going on. I remember telling my mom that like, it feel, I don't know how to describe this, but it feels like there's something broken in my brain. Like something got turned down, like the volume got turned down in my brain. And like, I'm just not functioning. Nothing seems like I, I look at people on the street and I, I, I see someone laugh. And I think how could anything ever be funny. And, and that's just when, you know, like you're disconnected from reality and so, and that's depression. That is a total disconnect from reality, from the world, from others. And, and I was struggling and I didn't get back to what we were saying. I just wish that more people felt comfortable because after the fact, after I took myself to a hospital, cause I wasn't getting the care I needed. People said, Oh, I can tell something goes wrong. I thought I should say something, but, and I, so I always, I always encourage people now on podcasts, if I'm working with them, say something like you're not going to offend someone. Um, you're a human mm -hmm. being. You can connect with them. They've likely shared some kind of an emotion that you're, you, mm -hmm. you will be bringing up in the conversation. So please just say something. And yeah. that's, I, I give that advice over and over. Yeah. And no, I love that. And I think it's true and it's very powerful. And just to say you're not alone is yeah. a, a very healing, um, conversation to have with somebody, because I feel like for so many of us who are suffering from depression, anxiety, panic, whatever, like we feel very alone and isolated because yeah. it is very taboo in our culture, especially to kind of brush that under the rug and not really address it maybe because it makes people feel uncomfortable. And I mm -hmm. hope that by having more conversations, we can help people feel more comfortable with talking about mental health and it's not some scary, you know, thing that some boogeyman that's going to monster is going to jump out of the closet, but it's everyday people who, you know, who are really suffering. And, and when you're mentioning earlier about sometimes people just need someone there to say, you're not alone. I feel like a lot of times in my coaching practice, I feel like a lot of times also people just need a way to get it out. Yeah. What I feel like I didn't have also growing up was a way to get it out. Like just to talk, just to process out everything that's kind of happening, good, bad, all the whole spectrum, like just be able to talk about it and just be able to say it out loud to somebody and have them hear you and just say, yeah, I hear you. It's okay. I know, mm -hmm. I know what you're going through or wow, I can totally empathize with you that that must be really hard. Just having that space in and of itself is such a healing space that I wish course, yeah. more of us could hold. And what I try to push leaders, especially people yeah. in leadership positions who are leading organizations, you need to be that person a lot of times to help hold that space. And really it takes courage and it takes, um, a, a lot of self-management and your own kind of internal, how you regulate yourself to be able to sit in that presence and be very yeah. 
present and just let people just help process. That's what it always feels like to me. Absolutely. That's, I think it's a superpower what you described. And I'm so glad that that's how you are and you are with other people because we don't see it enough. And if you look at, if you look at the the people who get attention online or on TV media, and I don't want to get political here, but it's the Trumps of the world. It's those big, uh, braggadocious leaders who are so mm-hmm. confident. It doesn't matter. They're never going to be wrong. They're just going to keep saying stuff and keep winning. And that's, yep. that's not how life works. If you think yeah. about, and I don't know why I'm going here with this, but if you think about like how we evolved like the tens of thousands of years ago, just sitting on the Savannah with our ancestors, there was like that hot, common human connection. And that's what we need. And we don't often get that in our current system. It is very, our families get smaller. We're very individualistic, especially in the United States. Yeah. And it's doing, it's a big disservice to human beings because we need connection. Like I, I, I love um, doing podcasts like this or connecting with people who are like-minded and because I'm a sensitive person and maybe I need a little more like a uh, meaningful connection than most, but I think deep down, we all need connection period, even if it's not to the extreme levels like I need. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think there've been research studies that have been done around yeah. the importance of that connection and also why belonging is so important important at like a very fundamental level that even I think, was it chimpanzees or I can't remember what um, primate they had studied, but when they had deprived the, the baby or the smaller chimpanzees of that love and that connection, they actually started developing mental health issues. They started developing, um, like becoming suicidal and wanting to like and also picking out like their hair and becoming very stressed because yes, that, at that, the core coming back to that, that picking behavior, it, yeah. it actually has its roots and you're, you're right. It's, it's not often that I get to talk about body picking behavior so often. So <laughs> let me indulge my yeah. health here, but, but you're, yeah, you're no. right. it's rooted but I mean, in our biology. It's rooted in our biology. And I think at the, I mean, I believe at the core, that is what everybody is seeking. Like when you peel back all the layers, that is what we are all seeking. And even in mental health, like what we were, at least what I know I was seeking when I was a younger person was for somebody to come out and say, you belong here. Yeah. It's okay. Even though we may not go through what you're going through, it's normal and it's okay. And you still belong in this tribe or this, you know, yes, community. I said the but, word tribe. I'm glad you said that. It is yeah. making me think of this. I, I think what you're talking about is, and I don't want to misuse the word or I'll bring up any other feelings of people, but it is very tribal. I think a mm-hmm. sense of belonging that, uh, why, why do people love things like sports and going to sporting events yeah. and just get so, why do men get so into that? Because it's one of the only socially acceptable ways that they can like be with their buddies and hug each other and get that kind of human connection right. that, and playing sports too, that you, that you can't mm-hmm. get otherwise, because it's not yeah. cool to be really close with a guy. And, and like, it, it's funny because that's some time i spent a summer in, in africa and, and you would see boys best friends holding hands sometimes and just mm-hmm. hugging each other and, and i i thought that was kind of nice uh not that everyone should go around holding hands and be kumbaya but just it, it was just a different cultural yeah. uh, point of view and, and mm-hmm. travel's great for that you learn so much about yeah. the world but but it, getting back to tr- tribes is that people are seeking connection and this pandemic has exacerbated the the mental health crisis that was already there uh, there's wow. already, there was already a lack of connection, already very hard to get services. And, and now you just say, okay, stay home and and maybe you won't work or maybe you will go to school. Maybe you won't like that is just disrupting everyone's <laughs> daily routines. Yep. 
Yeah. And, you know, I, when you were touching on sports, it made me think back to our topic too, around obsession. Um, I played basketball in high school and college. And I remember that you almost have to have this obsessive mindset in the sense of consistency, dedication, um, connectedness with your team, right? You need no team is good if they aren't all, you know, beating to the same drum, have a really great connection. I remember there was one team that I was on where there was a lot of conflict and we were a really great team until that conflict happened, then it completely disintegrated everything. And we start, we weren't winning. We was extremely difficult. So really being mindful of that and almost being obsessed in the way where it's like, you're just putting a lot of your attention and awareness on it, whatever it is that you're doing, um, I think is a really important skill set and helps to build for me. I look at it like building resilience and giving you that deeper perspective and awareness, um, especially as a leader. I mean, I see that as such an important skill set and, but again, finding that balance, I think again, you don't want to tip it too far into the, you know, unhealthy or deficit, you know, kind of area of the spectrum, but try and find ways to be obsessively, you know, interested and aware in everyone around you. And it's so tough. And it's why in my writing, a lot of my blog posts, on my emails, I'll have the caveat, but Hey, you got to figure out what works for you. So maybe what I, these five steps will work, but maybe you're going to have to tailor them because you're right. I think obsession is such an interesting concept. If you look at uh, anyone who has achieved anything great, whether in sports or business, they I would argue we're obsessed with what they were doing. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and you, you, you especially see just in my circles online, like a lot of uh, Silicon Valley types, tech entrepreneurs, tech bros, uh, they, people are called disparagingly, who will yeah. just fawn over certain leaders or like Gary Vee, where, which I think that hustle, hustle culture is, is not uh, healthy. Cancel that. Um, Cancel yeah, that hustle I don't like culture. that. But what I do kind of like and I'm fascinated by is if you're interested in a craft and you think that's what you want to do and that's for you, like if I wanted to be really great at writing or search engine optimization um, and it's not ruining my life, then I think it's okay to study the greats who are obsessed. Like uh, someone uh, who's gotten a lot of attention, I think two in the last three or four years with some of the documentaries that come out uh, is Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. Uh, you look at any videos and you can look up scores of videos on YouTube. You can read essays about them. They were both absolutely obsessed and their teammates will tell you that they were the most dedicated person on the team by far. Uh, they were obsessed, I think, with their craft though. It wasn't like beating themselves up. It was it was kind of like how I think about art and what I like to do in writing. Um, I want to get better at that. I want to be competitive with myself, not looking at some other influencer on Twitter and thinking, like, oh, I wish I had that. It's not that what I'm talking about. It's like almost like an artistic, like kind of becoming, like you're becoming a, a greater version of yourself, that kind of obsession. And yeah. I think that is actually kind of healthy. It kind of moves uh, people forward. It's where a lot of innovation comes from, uh, those obsessive tinkers, you know? So uh, it, you just got to constantly come back to yourself and, and, and understand yourself better to see if it's, if it's right for you or not. Yeah. And I think pairing it with that curiosity is really helpful too. almost like kind of checking yourself to be like, okay, am I crossing the line into maybe more of an obsessive place where it's destructive or it's maybe undermining what I'm trying to accomplish? What I always think about when you were talking about, um, that the process is I always say, I I try to become obsessed and fall in love with the process. It's yes. not even with this podcast, right? It wasn't about me starting a podcast. Oh, I'll have a million downloads and I'll have 
that's immediately external to yourself. That's, that's Mm -hmm. ego. That's like, that is what fuels anxiety for me. Because if I were to say, Oh, I need to have a million um, downloads. I need to really push myself. But if I were to say, Jen, I want to fall in love with the process of creating this podcast and find ways to be a little bit obsessed with the craft, to be able to learn and push myself into maybe outside of my boundaries of my creativity to kind of grow in that way. To me, that feels like a, a healthier obsession, pairing that with curiosity. So every so often I'm like, Jen, are you becoming too obsessed maybe with this process? Do you need to take a break or do you need maybe to put that on hold and work on something else? But I think it's about that process and really developing that. And, And just like with Kobe Bryant, right? He had to be obsessed to go to that gym every single day, Yeah, play, you know, shoot thousands and thousands and thousands. I know how painful that is. You have to be obsessed with being really committed and dedicated to that. And I feel like that obsession comes from more intrinsic place, right? Like I want to be the best version of myself that I can be. Yeah. Does that make sense? It totally does. I think it's more like a a calling what you're talking about Mm -hmm. when you, you, you almost in whatever you believe, whether it's religious, spiritual, whatever your inclinations are, I, I think that can mean different things to different people. But for someone like a Kobe Bryant or Michael Jordan, um, I think they felt, of course, they were the requisite height. You know, they were tall enough to play basketball. Sure. But, and Genetics helped them a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> I but could never have been that. Yeah. I, I just don't have the they were on that right. path. They knew that was probably like a calling for yeah. them. And I, I think you got, you got to get to a similar point with yourself. And I, I do love that you keep bringing it back to curiosity because I'm, I am such a strange, curious person. My parents told me that I was always so curious that they hated going walks going on walks with me around the block because I would look down every sewer grade and I would peer around corners and they could not get me home. Mm-hmm. That's just who I am. And so curiosity is just something, yes, we all need it, but like not everyone needs to be as curious as I am or probably as you are. Uh, sure. That's not your, your nature. So yeah. coming back to, to knowing yourself, you do need to ask questions, but maybe you don't. Maybe you don't need to be super curious. Maybe you're not like uh, Einstein or Leonardo da Vinci level curious where Leonardo da Vinci, a lot of those uh, great great thinkers in their journals, they talk about uh, why is the sky blue? Why is the water like this? Why do the ripples go this way? Mm -hmm. Uh, There are curiosity can lead to great things, but it's also can be maddening too, if that's not who you are. Uh, You maybe don't want to be asking yourself those questions all the time. Yeah, I think it is. I had a question for you, actually. Mm -hmm. Sure. Do you? Do you have a set, uh, you said you you stop and you think, is this still good for me or am I obsessing too much? Is that built into your, your processes or how do you know when to stop and ask questions like that? Oh, that's a great question. For me, it's, so I originally, so I've been, I think I shared with you, but I'll share with the listeners. I've been in therapy for about 15 years and I'm just, okay. again, I, I recommend therapy, but not, I know not everyone is going to be committed. Like I have been just, um, but one of my first therapists was actually a somatic therapist. So a lot of her work was around trying to train me to get back into my body because I, I found the source of a lot of my anxiety was that disconnect. Like there was things happening in my body and my brain was reacting and triggering. So I was looking for a way to integrate kind of all of the sensations and feelings that I had felt to try and get a handle of my anxiety a little bit better. Um, so what I do is like, I try to pay really close attention to my body. My body usually tells me like if I'm overtired or if I've been looking at the screen for too long, if I 
have been just burning myself out. Um, so I really try and tap into first my body to figure out in the moment, you know, what's going on. Am I reaching my limit? Am I reaching that threshold? That's going to push me over into kind of more of that deficit, more of that. It feels more toxic to me where I'm becoming almost too obsessive. So that's one. The other is I think, um, for me, it's just been a natural tendency. And I don't know if all my coaching is just kind of, um, brought, brought this kind of to the surface more, but I just, I have developed a, a practice where at least twice a day I check in with myself and I have a few questions okay. that I ask myself. So I'll say, Jen, you know, how are you feeling? How are you doing? What's going on, um, in your body? What's going on, you know, in your, in your head, everything. And then, I'll ask myself, do I feel like I've done enough today? And I really try to kind of tap into that. Um, So for me, it's about trying to set up some checkpoints throughout the day to not only check in with my body, but just to check in with how I'm feeling mentally and just overall. And I'm really, what I've been really trying to do, Jordan, which I'm sure you'll appreciate is I'm really, one of the biggest things I've had to kind of get a grasp on with my mental health journey is trusting myself. And I oh, think I with it. anxiety for a long time played tricks with me. And I, I felt like I couldn't really trust myself because I, I couldn't understand what was happening. So I've been trying to develop more trust so that my intuition can really come forward. So if I'm, yeah. if I'm not, I love that. Cause you're, you are so, cause you're so, I think you're so authentic. And I think, I, I hope you continue to trust yourself because you're putting so much good into this world. And, and that only can happen if you can deal with the naysayers, deal with people who want to take your time and get you to do other stuff. And I'm I'm glad. And also I'm glad to hear you bring up the body stuff Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. I wasn't actually, so one of the, I guess it's perks. You never know what you're going to get when uh, who's going to message you on Twitter or all the places. Once you kind of become an influencer, I can't believe I'm a mental health influencer is that people will reach out to me and ask for help, you know? Um, and I, mm-hmm. so I, I did recently speak with a tech entrepreneur on a video call. Um, he's like doing really well, you know, he's, he's been in some big, big accelerator programs, but he, he admitted his mental health was really struggling. And we had this, we had this conversation and I realized that he didn't have a lot of like, even awareness of terms, like of what anxiety meant. And so I was going back to basics and I, I really, I shared a story with him that when I was high school up into college, even I had no body awareness and it wasn't until I started reading about, like we talked about payment kind of children earlier, mm-hmm. those kind of books about Buddhism, that there is a different way of being in the world than constantly thinking in your head. Because for me up and through high school and the college, I just had millions and millions of thoughts in my head. And I thought that's what everyone had. I had, I had no idea that you could use meditation or mindfulness to like let the thoughts go or quiet yeah. them in any shape or form. So mm-hmm. I didn't have that body awareness. And I just think now how strange that was that I couldn't even tell you where t- tension was in my body when I was younger. Mm-hmm. But now, like you said, it's so key to, yeah. to what I'm doing that uh, I can tell now if I'm you know, grinding my teeth while waiting for an email to load, or I'm typing and I want an answer really fast. Um, I think that body awareness is so key. And it was meditation and just mindfulness reading about that and practicing in general that really, really helped me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you'll know that, um, I'm sure if you've read about Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant or LeBron James, any of the greats who have written about how ritualistic they are, a lot of them do meditate. A lot of them do have their rituals that they do before a game that helps them kind of get into the zone and to kind of relax and get really present with their bodies, with their, their minds, their everything. And it's, 
a real skill and something. And I, I know that I used to do this myself as well when I played sports, but I, I never really equated it to every day. Like, can I incorporate those skills and that like mm-hmm. mindset into everything that I do? And I found for me, it's all the, I always say it's the small tweaks. Like I'm interested in knowing almost minute by minute, hour by hour, like, how am I doing? Like checking in just constantly, because again, for me, it's, that's a, the obsession piece is I want to, I want to stay on top of how I'm doing and making sure I give myself exactly what I need and not wait until again, I'm in that kind of burnout zone or that deficit zone where I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to just like fall and like lay here. Like I want to be just being really mindful of how I'm doing, using curiosity to kind of help me get kind of a better, deeper sense of that. And then just really adjusting as I go. I mean, that's really my, you know, and I think a lot of great athletes do that as well. Certain variations of that. And it sounds like that really works for you. And I'll just share Mm -hmm. some warning, warning sign from kind of for me, when I was first really getting into productivity and like personal development, probably 2013, 2014, I learned about the getting things done system and David Allen and these, and and it changed my life in in many ways. It was great. It got me down this productivity path, but I also realized I was spending hours setting up my inbox and not actually fielding any emails or doing any work that I was worrying so much about the system itself. And I was just losing the forest for the the trees. I couldn't, I couldn't see the difference at, at all. And so now I know years later that I need simple systems that work for me. I don't need to get carried away with uh, all these different tags and all these different, uh, do I have energy level three or energy level four for this task? It doesn't really matter. Just do the work, Jordan. Like it doesn't matter. (laughs) So uh, for, I see that a lot. And some people like consultants, even friends I've worked with, uh, I, I see them trying to follow a system when it's like, Eh, you probably don't need to have a 25 step system. If you're just trying to get through three emails, you know, like it, it, right. it, it doesn't really fit what you're trying to do. So the fit right. has to be there. And, yeah. and that's just something I've noticed about myself. Like when my obsession w- was got me carried away and I, I yeah. really didn't do it in the right way. Yeah. And just like leadership and just, I think like everything else, like it isn't a one size fits all approach, right? Like what you were saying, Absolutely. like that might work, that system might be beneficial to someone, but may not be to you. So I think it's, that's where you go back to where you're saying really know yourself and having that real deep understanding and awareness of what it is that you need and what works best for you. And then once you know that you can start tweaking and augmenting things as they come up. And then eventually you'll get to a place, I think where it becomes more automatic, but yeah, you don't just because something works for someone else doesn't mean it's going to work yeah, for you too. Um, and it's, and it's, and this funny little space I've carved myself into with my mental health writing. I, I started writing about mental health because I couldn't find the content I wanted to read. That's kind of my origin story. Like I couldn't find the accessible content that actually seemed relatable and would work for, for me. And so I think I get time and time again, is that people respond to my newsletter or find my writing somehow. And they say, it doesn't feel like you're talking down to me. Like, it feels like you're a friend and you're teaching me about stuff, but you're not talking down to me. And that's like the best compliment I can receive because uh, that's what I tried to put out in the world. Like I was just getting tired of seeing the same jargon filled kind of writing from the same old sites. Like they're going to be fine. They're going to make a ton of money in ad revenue. It's going to be great. But like there needs mental health is too nuanced to just fit for that one size fit all yeah. approach. Like you're talking about that we need to like start the conversation, have communities that encourage the conversation and grow it and then go from there and then see what yeah. people want to take from it. But it can't just be this 
you do this five things and then you'll crush it in life and you'll be like me, Gary Vee. Like, that's just not how it works for her. I always think, did you ever see the movie? Um, there's something about Mary, how they were. In- I did see parts of it. I'm not a big movie person, but I, yeah. I but they're in the car. He's in the car with this man, a hitchhiker that he picked up and he had started talking about his idea. He was like, oh, there's, I'm going to do this thing. It's called seven minute abs. You're going to get abs in seven minutes. Great. And, and the guy was like, well, what about five minute abs? And he was like, oh no, I think it's three minute abs. And I feel like <laughs> right, right. to some degree that is the perfect, like, representation of what happens. It's like, we are trying to find the fastest way to get to any kind of outcome and make the most money where what I hear you talking about, it's more like leading with authenticity. It's leading with kind of your truest, highest self. Yeah. And then it's a different language and it's it's hard to talk to someone that way when you've got like a bunch of guys playing lacrosse and they're, 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 they're so cool when really we should be ice skating or maybe we should be doing something else to like really go with the flow. It's why I I like reading both Western approaches and Eastern approaches. I just finished a book. uh, It's funny. I just finished a book called Think on These Things by uh, Krishnamurti. I think his first name is Jiddu Krishnamurti, but everyone was known by Krishnamurti. Everyone knew him as Krishnamurti. And I think he was like this philosopher, deep thinker type that set up in Ojai, California, I believe for a while in the Mm -hmm. 60s, 70s. And, And his whole thing was just like, what is true for you? Like you experience it for yourself. Like, why are you asking me all these silly questions? Like, what do you think of it first? And kind of turning it back on the, the questioner. And I, I just think that book, think on these things. I, I read so many books, but I finished this one recently and this stuck with me. It's rare that I have a book that it just like feels new and, and um, fresh. And I think it's like, that's well, how the feeling you get when you're coming across wisdom. It's just like, oh, that, of course it's that way. Of course, like, it's just true for you. You just know uh, when you read it. And maybe not everyone relate, but but that's what I feel in it. And he blended that Eastern and Western mindset. Yeah, so well. I'm with you. I definitely tend to um, be more drawn to kind of that kind of blended approach of yeah. a lot of the things that I, I really wish as a Western culture, we embraced a lot more of these things. And I think, you know, as you were talking about the pandemic and how it's kind of exacerbated a lot of what was already there is that, right. yeah, a lot of these things that I hear more in corporations, people talking about things like mindfulness and, you know, awareness and things like that. Um, I just feel like there's so much more we need to be doing to try and blend some of the, the great philosophies of kind of Eastern kind of ways of being and ways of thinking yeah. into, you know, how we approach leadership. And I think that, you know, the pandemic again, was a great, great place to start to say, okay, let's start imp- the old way of doing things will not work. It, people are still trying. They're still out there trying to do the old ways, get your butt yeah. in the office and let's be there for seven out nine hours a day. Like that is not where we are coming back. And I think people are starting to realize that. So I think there's a great doorway there to opening some different ways of thinking and how we relate to one Mm -hmm. another, how we lead, how we interact and just connect with people. Um, There's so much opportunity there to bring some of these other influences in that maybe you normally wouldn't um, have thought about before. And I I think you said ways of thinking. I think it's also different ways of being, if you really Mm -hmm. think about it, because yes, I hear lots of people who are in big companies or tech companies talking about how the word is mindfulness and even maybe a mindfulness program is being thrown around, but it's almost still viewed. It's not even, it's not, it's not even viewed. It is that it's being treated like a bandaid. You put a bandaid on it and then it'll go away. 
it's like yep. this very uh, symptom obsessed society we lived in. Like yeah. we just get rid of that thing, that that nasty thing off our skin, then we'll be we'll be good. Or yeah. maybe internally our liver is is dying. It, yeah. You just you gotta think functionally. You have to think holistically, and we're not very good at that. Yeah. I just I just think of when I was managing a federal grant through SAMHSA uh, for the Office of Public Instruction in Montana, we had to, one of the things we were trying to do is implement trauma-informed practices in school districts. And I just remember uh, everyone, pretty much all school districts uh, said, no, we don't want another program. We don't want to do this. There's a lot of work. And I was trying to say, uh, you know, trauma-informed, is, it's not another program. It's kind of a way of being. Yeah. It's, it's the realization that your students, even your teachers and administrators have trauma in their lives that they've lived through and it's going to affect them. And here are different principles and things you can implement. Um, mm -hmm. The one school district that got it, which I loved it because it was my favorite place, is the Blackfeet Reservation. They totally got it. They're like, what? Why are you talking to us like mental health is this thing that we do? Like we 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 get mental health. We this is just part of who we are. We've been this way for thousands of years. I yeah. thought that was so beautiful that they would say yeah. that in a meeting. And I'd go yeah. to like another school district and they'd be like, no, we don't have time for this. We we yeah. only have this many hours for our teachers and extracurricular activities. And and here you get the Blackfeet reservation where these teachers would come into a meeting. We'd meet for three hours and they'd tell me their whole history, go back to the 1940s, if it was relevant, and, and they got it. But uh, yeah. these, these Western districts, it was so apparent. There was like, no, yeah. this is very, we got to go by the book and there's not enough time for this. But yeah. just an no, interesting, makes, interesting yeah. example. That makes sense that it would be embedded into their culture. And totally. I feel like that's embedded. exactly what needs to happen with ours as well is that you're right. It's not just something that we do. And I find like, it feels very transactional is what it feels like to me, yeah, especially that's... in my corporate role. It's like, oh, we have this program. We all go through it and it's great. I mean, I really like it. And then it's like, all right, well, have a nice day. And it's like, well, wait a second. Okay. So we just went through like maybe this two day class and then what, like, we don't really have a way to integrate these things with people. We we're really good at like maybe teaching it, but yeah, we did. What do thing. you do? It's just like, okay, we checked it. Yeah, there we go. And fine. And let's I don't go. Know about you. I don't know if you're this way, but I was the I was the person who was disliked in my classes, even up until my grad school recently, uh, when I did mm -hmm. 2016 to 2018, because I was always asking why, like why are we doing this? Or like, yeah. well, well, what do we? Why are we not still doing this? Like in a in a corporation or a business? Mm -hmm. Like we remember we had that training. Like why are we not implementing that? And yeah. people get kind of annoyed with me because oh yeah, we're just, we're just supposed to let that go. Like that was just supposed to be a one week thing, Jordan. Like you you're supposed to stop now, yeah. but I I can't because it, yeah. if I need my life to be meaningful. It's just kind of part yeah. of who I am. And yeah. so I'm constantly asking why and wanting things to make sense to me. Yeah, that's funny because I am that same person. <laughs> that's yeah, kind of wheel where I'm like, well, wait, what about that thing we did a year ago? Like, what have we done since then? I hope, I hope you don't stop asking that because I think it's important. I, I do. I mean, granted, I have been met in my career with a lot of, um, you know, like you, like, oh, Jen, okay, yeah, we'll get to that and we'll, you know. But I feel like, again, with the pandemic, like we've almost crossed a point of no return. I think people are starting to finally kind of really wake up and really demand more. And, uh, you know, from a leadership yeah. standpoint, I'm really excited about that. It gives us a great opportunity. We can be afraid, right? And really grasp and cling on to like what we want right. new things to be, or we can turn towards kind of this new new area for us to explore and really get it right and start really treating people the way that they deserve to be treated and creating more of this inclusive, um, accepting 
society where people can thrive. Um, so I'm personally really excited, but I know a lot of, I've seen a lot of people getting very like anxious, like, Oh no, we can't, can't go there. We can't be too touchy feely, you know, in our feelings. And yeah, I'm like you in there to say, why not? We probably need to go there. Uh, And I don't know if it's exactly what you're getting at, but during tough times, I think you, it can be really anxiety provoking for sure. I have anxiety. I still live with it every day, but I've realized that really bad times like the pandemic or me deciding to lose, leave my job, my last job because of unethical issues and just have had enough of certain things happening that I could, I could turn inward and say, this is really bad. How am I going to figure this out? Or I could realize that during a crisis, you can literally do anything. And it's an mm-hmm. opportunity as well. So I, I always remind myself of that. And it's just not something that comes natural, I think, to people in the U.S. and Western cultures. We want to label. We want to figure it out and know what to do immediately. But like you were saying, you have to stay open to the experience. Yeah. That's only what this only uh time when anything happens, when you're open to, yeah. to, to what you're experiencing in the present moment. And I'm, I'm getting all like Eckhart Tolle now and sounding like a, a very Buddhist, but it's true. If you think yeah. about it, you need to be open or you're going to be closed off to opportunities, to ideas, and you're going to miss yeah. things. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's a great way to kind of circle back to the way I also think about obsession and how I look at leadership as well and mental health. Um, again, for me, yeah, the Buddhism part tells me it feels like it's trying to remain in balance. It's trying to remain in this space where you can come back to your center or you can come back to your, that grounded place where we can be open and be less afraid and be less resistant, um, and just be really open and present with it. And so much beauty comes from that. I think if we can learn as a society to not be afraid of that, um, yes, I think that will be a great turning point. Um, and I feel like how that happens is the more and more people like you, like myself, like people, just everyday people having the courage to do that, to have the courage, like you did to start your mental health update and start being an advocate for mental health and just talking about it. Like that is a way of recentering to me is like, Mm -hmm. when I can talk about that, it's about coming back to my center because my center and my truth includes mental health, you know, it includes all these things. Um, and I think that the more we do that, the more we can remain in balance and we can be more comfortable, um, and stay open to those things and be able to. Well said, I think you just summed up how we solve the mental health stigma problem. Uh, that's just at the core of it for me. And, and, and in it coming back to obsession, which is our topic here is that, accepting that part of me and not being something that's inherently bad, but like, it can actually be a good thing. It, it can be bad some days, but it can also be good. And I can learn to channel it and work with it. I uh, did that, that. I think that was just so pivotal in me learning to become a leader. If I'm even that, like, yeah. I, don't, I think the best leaders don't even really like want to have that leadership mantle. You know, they, they, they just they're like, okay, I guess if I'm the one for the job, I'll do it. And right. that's kind of how I approach it. Uh, and I tend to find myself in that role just because I guess I get outspoken about things that I care about and I'm authentic, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I, I don't think leaders always want to be, to be leaders, but, um, no. Yeah. It, that, well, that's not an ego thing. Even, no, no, it's not. It's not like I want to have this leadership title because it sounds cool. It's like, because I really care about this. I see a different vision for the future. And I like, I would hope to inspire if people agree with that too. That's how I feel about mental health. And that's really who I am. So embracing that is what, it's where all the power comes from. If you can just accept who you are. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. And one thing you were talking about that I think is really important wrapping up kind of obsession and even mental health and everything, everything is a continuum is how Mm -hmm. I see it. And Buddhists would say nothing is good or bad. So obsession, that trait or that, you know, that thing lights, whatever, those aren't bad or good. They, it's just something it's our interpretation and how we relate to it and how we choose to interpret that. And then maybe even sometimes weaponize it, sometimes um, use it to make important decisions based on that language that we have. So even if we can get out of like thinking, oh, if I'm obsessed, it's bad. Or if I'm obsessed, yeah. it's good. Yeah, dualistic thinking, I agree with you. It's right. really, really toxic. Just be a lot more neutral. And I think just recognizing, okay, how can I harness this energy? I look at it almost like energy. Like I said before, I think it has a lot of the same energy as like passion or, mm-hmm. um, you know, when you're in the flow and you're just really connected and really f- like firing, you know, tap into that, but notice when you start to kind of go too far up that continuum. And if it's starting mm-hmm. to then turn into, you know, again, depletion, burnout, whatever things that you don't, again, not good or bad, but just how is it impacting me? And that's why the body for me is always so important. Cause that's a good trick uh, sign to me to say, am I, am I good? Like, am I in the sense of, am I feeling whole? Am I feeling rested? Am I feeling, um, am I feeling like my senses aren't completely yeah. overloaded and I'm just anxious and really tap into that. Cause that'll tell you, that'll be a good sign to go, okay, maybe I'm going too far. Maybe now I just need to take a, a break and mm-hmm. you know, whatever your self-care or whatever you need to do to get back in balance. But I think just that process mm-hmm. for right. everybody, especially people in leadership, I've noticed if you can develop that kind of process of just really recognizing and kind of reining yourself in when you need to, and having self-care, those are the best leaders, the most yeah. self-aware leaders. I, I think so. And, and, and it's got to work for you. So learn about the topic, uh, read what, what interests you, uh, watch a video if you like that, but then I think you got to make it real for you. So if you're the kind of person you love, uh, notifications on your phone, set a notification to check in with yourself twice a day. And mm-hmm. I think that, that it doesn't really work well for me. I've tried it, but I think it works well for a lot of people. Um, there, there are other habits you can build, but it's got to come back to who you are and like knowing thyself. I always think of that phrase and like the Greek aphorism, um, what is it, like on the temple of Delphi or whatever they, they say like back in the day, uh, the, the, it was written there on the temple, know thyself. Yeah. But I think that is so important uh, because like all knowledge probably is, if I think about it, self-knowledge. Uh, you're always the one experiencing what you're going through. So, yep. so you, you got to play with these ideas and see what they they mean to you. Like that's the, that's the only way I know to do it. Yeah. Perfect. I love wrapping up the topic on that because, you know, knowing yourself, I think is at the core of mm-hmm. all of this work and mental health, obsession, leadership, whatever you want to say. I mean, just know yourself so well yeah. that you can be more responsive and be more in tune with what you need and to what others need around you. Um, I think it's yeah. so important. Um, yeah. I wanted to shift gears real quick, if you don't mind into the leading sure. question segment, where I ask you some fun questions just to get to know you a little bit more. And I'm really curious actually about this first one. Yeah, um, you it. mentioned a book that you just read recently, but so the first question is what is your favorite book on your bookshelf? So that I just, I think I used my answer because I, I was thinking of these questions yeah. and, 
I read so much. Like I think I read 62 books last year, Goodreads told me, and I set a challenge for myself. But but that book wow. that it did stand out for me, that Think on These Things by Krishnamurti. It was a blend of the East and West perspectives. And, and it was talking about like, what is education really? Like, what is the purpose of education? Uh, is it to go get a job and uh, be in a factory? Or is it to like understand yourself and know what is true for you and all this stuff? And I, I just loved how, I guess they were based off talks that he'd given. And then at, at the end of each chapter, he would answer more questions that people in the audience had. And I, I just thought it was it was so honest and so truthful. And it's clearly he had read with the ideas. But I, but I mean, I, I read other things. I read business books, personal development books. I just finished a book, uh, Scale, that I really liked. Uh, it was more definitely more scientific. Uh, it's like how uh, things follow universal laws and nature, but also companies follow these scaling laws and organizations and then cities. So if you're, if you're a, a deep nerd, nerdy thinker like me, like you're going to like scale, but uh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm reading six to eight books at any given time. And I just flip. Wow. Good for you. That is awesome. I'm gonna have to chink, uh, check out that think, did you say think of those think, things? Think on these things. It's, on it's these hard things. to find, but I think you could probably get on Amazon, maybe a used copy. I found okay. a used version in a random bookstore in Hamilton, Montana. And it just cool. books tend to find me at the right moment. I had been thinking actually about this guy. I've been reading about Krishnamurti. And then I said, mm-hmm. oh, I got to read it. And it was the exact right moment to read it. Wow. I love it. Well, hopefully I can find it. Uh, it sounds like something I'd be interested in. Um, so what is one thing you were most proud of? I think, and it's one that feels right to me that I always come back to is recovering from open heart surgery and the horrible, horrible aftermath of the mental health issues that happened after the fact, because I had this surprise heart surgery in 2012, when you think that would be a shock to the system and it was, um, but I, the physical recovery wasn't that bad. Uh, what happened after that, and, and this is not something the Mayo Clinic ever warned me about, which I really think they should have. It, I've realized now through studying it that it's very common. You can actually have pretty serious mental health issues after major surgeries like that. Hmm. So I had this surgery to replace my aortic valve and I have, I'm like a bionic man. Now I have this titanium heart valve. And for years after, like I was having depressive episodes and it got so bad that I think I went about five straight months with barely sleeping. And that will make anyone go lose their mind. You have to sleep. And I just wasn't getting the help I needed. I got passed off from a therapist I thought I trusted to someone who was not qualified. I went to that doctor I told you about who gave me random sleeping pills, never talked to me about depression. And it was just a series of unfortunate events, which led me Mm. to, um, and I was so ashamed at the time, but it's the best, one of the best things I've ever done for myself is I went to the ER with my wife and I was like crying all the time. I'm crying. And then thankfully they had a bed in the behavioral health unit. And that was such a good turning point. Uh, who got me back on my feet and got me sleeping again. And I got a proper diagnosis of OCD. I was actually not being treated for that. And they finally gave me medicine that, that directly treated the intrusive thoughts that I'd had in my whole life. And that actually mm. changed my life. So it's important of diagnosis, important of getting proper care. I just was stuck in, you know, rural Montana where I, I just didn't have the right kind of resources I needed. And eventually I got through that and I, I've become... Uh, you know, and a mental health advocate. And I was trying to be as I was, you know, I was well-versed in the system. I was already volunteering at that time when it was going on. Um, but yeah. that was brutal. Uh, it, yeah. Having major depression was the absolute hardest thing I've ever been through. And I guess I'm proud of that. I'm proud that I made it through that. And uh, yeah. I'm, I'm still here to help that, to help other people get through struggles. That was, that was a really bad time for a number of years. Yeah. I can imagine. And like you said, what a blessing. I mean, looking back now, you can probably see it that, it was really leading you maybe into sure. kind of this new 
path that I think was always there. What's interesting to me is always like, I feel like the path is always there, but sometimes it's really hard for us to see it until Mm -hmm. maybe we have a life changing event that almost forces us. Like you almost have no other option, but to kind of look down and go, Oh, okay. Totally. That's where I need to be. Um, I don't want to get all mystical on you, but I think about this a lot and uh, I've become more spiritual as I've gotten older. And I I would say that, and and not everyone likes to hear this because maybe they're not ready for it, but I I, I think that there, the bad things that happen to you kind of happen to knock you onto the path that is right for you in life. Uh, And it's not like, I'm not saying it in a way to like, you should be less than what you are now. But like, I really, really think I was meant to to work in mental health in some way. And I was already kind of going down that path. And I just kept having more and more things happen to me that really kept saying to me, it's like the universe is saying, no, Jordan, like you're supposed to be doing this. You're supposed to be yeah. doing this. And if I think about it, like it was always, I'm always going to end up on this entrepreneurial path because that's kind of always been my nature. Yeah. And this latest thing, right? I thought I was going to buy this company, have a great career of where I was the COO of this company something ridiculous happened. And it was, once again, it was just like, okay, I'm going to choose myself. I'm going to finally just do this business that I've been thinking about in the background and I should have done it years yeah. and years ago, but um, yeah. everything happens in the right order. It really does. I, I couldn't agree more. And no, you're not scaring me off with any spiritual talk. I mean, I believe in that too. And I believe, I mean, in Pema Chodron, it's hard, it's hard this, to describe it, you know, it's spiritual. No, I know. I can't really put words to it. If anybody's interested, one of the first books I read that really gave me a good context, what you're talking about is her book, When Things Fall Apart. Yes. She talks about, right. Those moments when your life falls apart and you just can't put the pieces back together. And it almost like makes you take a step back and really stop and go, okay, what, what do I want different? How can I put these pieces back together? The old ways that I did things weren't working. What is this, you know, new way that it's presenting you with an opportunity, right. And it gives you an opportunity to really take that step back and really pause and kind of really evaluate, like you said, and no, I'm going to choose me, right? When you take that moment to pause and step back, you give yourself, you empower yourself to make more of those choices. Mm-hmm. And I, it's anyway, such a good it's one of my favorite books. Um, it, 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 that, that really had a big impact on me. I needed to reread it because it, it is this thing. Like if you use those words to say to someone, Hey, no, this is an opportunity. Your life being terrible is an opportunity to be better. They wouldn't like it. No. But if you can really internalize the lesson, like Pema Chodron says, it's kind of mm-hmm. like, I'm thinking of that, you, you know, that like uh, Japanese pottery kintsugi mm-hmm. where they put pieces yeah. back together and actually like the cracks of the gold they put in the cracks is actually part yeah. of the pottery. Yeah. Like it's kind of like that. Like yeah. you are this beautiful yeah. mess, you silly human. And I've been around an indigenous society, like the Blackfeet people I mentioned earlier who get that, like they understand yeah. that and, mm-hmm. and they can have a sense of humor when things go wrong. Um, yeah because they just kind of get it. They have a level of wisdom that we're catching up to, I feel. Right. I agree. And it's ironic you mentioned that because someone was just telling me about that on Twitter last night. So what the Japanese to look in, yeah, yeah, yeah to look, look into it that. It's really fascinating um, concept. Yeah. Interesting. So tell me about an influential person in your life and how they impacted you. Oh, this, it, this is interesting because I, I don't have like I'm sure there are people who have those stories like, oh, it was my, my grandpa John who said one thing, changed my life. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't have a story like that. I really think about this. And I, I really think it's my wife uh, mm-hmm. because she's, she, she, it, you think when you're, when you're growing up, you think you, you're like, you're going to have one thing that happens and it'll change your life and you're going to have one outcome, you know, and it'll be, it, it'll make everything better. But 
it's kind of rare uh, to have someone who's by your side, like almost every single day talking with you, putting up with your nonsense and uh, holding you accountable and stuff and like really trying to make you a better person. Like, I know that's not her goal. She wouldn't say that's her goal, like yeah. to make me a better person. But just on a day-to-day basis, she's influenced me yeah. so much by like, maybe if I say something ridiculous on Twitter and she says, well, like, did you consider the privilege you have there? And I was like, oh, well, maybe you're right. Okay. Maybe yeah. I did have a lot of privilege in that statement uh, to say yeah. that thing. Um, so mm-hmm. If I think about it on a day-to-day basis, it's got to be, it's got to be my wife. Like, I mean, she's so smart, so talented in so many different things. And I've learned a lot just having her in my life for now. It's been a little over five years. We've been been married and uh, been together longer than that. But yeah, probably my wife, because it's it's just like the cumulative that changes you, right? It's little habits to add up and little, little, little actions here and there that make a big difference in the end. Sounds like she balances you out too. Oh, absolutely. A great absolutely. and a stabilizer. And I know you're trying to score brownie points. So if she's listening, no, she listens, no. well. I don't think I've ever mentioned my <laughs> wife on a podcast. I've met a number of these now. And she doesn't like when I mention her on Twitter. She said, please don't ever mention that you have a wife, which I think is kind of funny. She just likes <laughs> to be a little, she's a little more private. A little, private. Yeah. A little mystery. It's all good. No worries. Yeah. No, no harm. Um, we're all, we're if you could, people. yeah. If you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? I think, and I'd have to check with my wife on this before, but I think she'd be okay with me saying this is probably, and this might change in five years, you know, I love to travel, but I've been to Amsterdam, uh, spent a couple Mm. days there and I loved the people and how practical Mm. they are. And I love just the history of how they had to be practical because they were like the small country uh, surrounded by others. They had to learn to be like mercantile uh, business people, Mm. you know, and I, I just, the more I read and the more I learn about uh, the Netherlands, I'm just so impressed. And there's, I, I'll find myself falling in love with certain apps that I use or certain like email software. And then I'll look into it. And it's like, oh, it was built in the Netherlands. That makes sense. Like this. That this, makes sense. No wonder <laughs> I love this minimalist practical software that I keep coming yeah. back to. Right. So I, I think uh, just being there, loving the the, the canals and loving yeah. how, the, how it looked. And it's a big entrepreneurial ecosystem. I think that that would fit my my nature. And I'd like to yeah. spend some time there. If I, could. I have to agree. I really like the Netherlands as well. I, I just like the culture, the, the, the towns, the, the, the vibe, the, the people, one of my favorite places actually yes. too. And they're just is... so straightforward. They don't, you mm-hmm. know, if you're doing something stupid, uh, they'll just kind of say that it's stupid. Like I, I read an article about how in the Netherlands, it's actually not a good thing to be working all the time. That if you, if you can't get your, if you're working past five, they kind of view it as in a way like, well, you didn't plan your work very well. Why are you still working after five? Like it's, it's not this badge of honor that we have. And especially if you're, I'm sure you're aware in Silicon Valley and the US. I don't something I'm constantly fighting. I, I, I think you can have a balance and do a lot of good work. Oh yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's, actually amazing. I've had many people because for many years I've had to really, I I work differently than a lot of people. I work in spurts. So I, I can be really creative, get a lot of stuff done that I need to take a break and then I'll come back and people will observe that. And they'll be like, how do you get work done? And I'm like, well, in those spurts, I can get a lot of work done. Like I'm really productive. I can really crank out, but when I need to step away, I need to step away. And I just know that about myself. And I think it goes back to, again, just, I think just knowing yourself really well and not, you don't have to fit into a mold of being sitting at your desk from nine to five. And that means you're worthy or you do good work. It's just about, I think, finding your balance and what works for you. Um, I think it's, yeah, that I, 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 I so relate to that. And you're right. Not everyone works that way, but I do. And I like that I can work on my own terms now because I've worked 
you know, state government, nonprofit, even for a startup. And I would get a lot done, but I would take breaks. I would yeah. read. I, I, I knew how to recharge my brain. And now I know there, there's evidence that backs that up. Like one of my favorite, probably the number one course online, I think it's still is learning how to learn by Barbara Oakley. Mm-hmm. Uh, she talks about like, you have to go between focus mode and diffuse mode. It's literally how your brain works, but we judge people who take breaks. I, I, I just, yeah. to me, that's stupid. And I, I had to get out of those kind of systems. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. Um, yeah, it goes back to that hustle culture. It's like, yeah. yeah, anyway, what is, so the last question is, what is the most important lesson that you have learned in your life that you can share with the listeners? It's, it's gotta be, be yourself. It's gotta be what we're t- we've been talking about. It, mm-hmm. I just think that everything in my life comes back to that. And I really, I don't know how to negate that really. I, it's, everything comes back to understanding myself. Life gets easier when I understand myself and I don't go against my true human nature. Uh, life is easier when I ab- embrace my obsession and realize that's part of who I am. Uh, it's just, I, I think if everyone spent some time reflecting on who they are, we'd all be better off. Um, I, one of the things that really kind of breaks my heart is I will write sometimes about in my email newsletter, like knowing yourself and I'll share an article where we wrote about that and I'll get responses from older people, older women, um, my, my, my reader skew female for whatever reason, maybe because I'm talking about emotional touchy feely topics. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Come on. And, <laughs> and a lot of these people will say, Jordan, I, for, I, I think this is such a great idea. I, for one, have never spent any time wondering what is best for me and like who I am as a person and like how, what I might need to be better. Like I, literally people, multiple people have said that. And I just think about it. And I think like, wow, this is how I go through. I am constantly asking myself questions. I'm constantly uh, just wondering like uh, who I am. Uh, but yeah. I think some people, especially maybe an older generation, uh, mm-hmm. I think these people were in their sixties, uh, should maybe grew up in a way where that you didn't do that. You just, you, you did your job. You, you, you didn't talk about your emotions. You just got things done. Yep. And that's really is sad to me because it, it yeah. blew their minds to think like, oh, that they can, they can go through life this way. So yeah. I hope Especially. if I leave anything behind, I encourage people to, to question things and understand themselves a little better. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think, especially for women, um, yeah. I, I think we feel that, um, I, I can, I can understand that. I, I was thinking as you were talking, like I can relate to that because I think women are expected to, you know, you take care of the house, you take yep. care of the kids. Now you're working, um, who has time to think about, you know, what do I actually want? Right. It's almost like you have to give out all of your energy to everybody else. You're like the last on the list. So any of my listeners who are, you know, mothers or parents out there, you also need to take time away. Like it's okay to like, say I need a break and mommy needs to go or even daddy, whoever, needs to go parent needs to go back into the room maybe for 20 minutes and just lay down and just relax and read whatever it is that you need read a book close your eyes but really know yourself and understand that when you take care of yourself you're better for everybody else too yeah. and it's not about just constantly doing 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 the more like you said you know yourself the more you know what you need you can start being more responsive in those moments and then Again, yeah. that makes it better for everybody else in their experience with you. Yeah. And I know maybe even that's a privileged thing to say. And I've thought about that too, is that yeah. 
Uh, not everyone even has the space or the time to, to, to get out go away from their mm-hmm. retail job and standing in line to get a COVID uh, test before they go yeah. into the retail job. And my right. and this is my wife has edu- helped educate me on this too in my social work training that, yeah, women, let's be real. I'm in a library right now. It's always the moms bringing their kids into the library. I mm-hmm. never see the dads. And, and it makes me sad. And I, I think that it's the women still to this day who are expected to do the brunt of the, the worker mm-hmm. at home. Uh, work a job like you, uh, take yeah. care of the kids, do all this stuff. And I, I, I'm, I try to push back on my wife and say like, you do so much for other people. You are allowed to find a career you like, you're allowed to do this um, because I think it's just internalized to her. Like she's not, she's supposed to just help everyone first. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, that, that, that yeah. obsessed me. Women, everyone should have a right to like be able to, to question for themselves what, what's true and what they want to do with their life. Absolutely. But I think that's an important lesson and a great way to wrap up our conversation, just knowing yourself and really at the core, what I'm hearing too, is like accepting yourself. Like, and again, it's for me, it's all parts of self, meaning mental health. If you have anxiety, like there's nothing wrong with you. Like you're not defective. You're not, you might just also be like, I talk a lot about highly sensitive. Like I am a highly sensitive person and I have just had to really embrace that. And start talking about it more so that people understand, like, it's okay. Like there's nothing wrong with you. It's just how your body and how you interact with the world and just find ways to support yourself so that you can thrive and not always feel deprived or that you're always in burnout. Um, Mm -hmm. just figure out ways. And I think the more, you know, yourself it's powerful and it's knowledge is power. And you can then start making congruent, um, decisions that mm-hmm. fill your cup and make you feel right. more whole. Anyway, hope Absolutely. that wasn't like a, go on a, uh, uh, the back of like a fortune cookie or something, but no, no that's just that how beautiful. I feel like, except that, just, except your beauty. That yes. was so good because I, I thought know. that was really good. And I know it made me think, and I know we could probably mm-hmm. like, you're the kind of person I could talk to forever here, but I like it. No, I, I think it's so important. And I just did a, uh, I just did a tweet thread. I think today about, uh, if you're an empath or especially a highly sensitive person, like how to protect your energy. And I got a pretty good reception. One of the first like proper tweet threads. I don't even really know how threads work, to be honest. And, and it's more of the marketer's territory uh, than yeah. the mental health person than me, but, uh, but it's so important. I, mean, I think well, I, I, everyone can benefit from it. Yeah. Now that you're talking about empaths, I also had to come to the realization that I am an empath as well. I, I know there's a, a small percentage I've, I've read of highly sensitive people who are also empaths. Um, and that's a whole other can of worms that I, cause oh, I can I literally think it'd be a bigger overlap. Uh, yeah, well, it is. A, I mean, I think it is a huge overlap because I can literally pick up, um, feelings and even pain of others. Oh, yeah, um, I guess kind of like the, the definition just, used for sure. I'm the same way. I'm a super feeler. I can, um, I, it makes me powerful. And like uh, when I was doing group therapy sessions, reading mm-hmm. them and, or the volunteering for NAMI and facilitating support groups, but it also can be draining because I'm picking up all yeah. everyone's emotions and it's a blessing yeah. and a curse for sure. Yeah. Lots of, ex- well, I am so excited, Jordan, we could have this conversation today. Thank you so much. Where can people find you and the mental health update and everything you're working on? Yeah. You can find the mental health update at uh, thementalhealthupdate.com. I also have a newsletter that I send out every week. It's, it's at newsletter.thementalhealthupdate.com. And if you're into Twitter, because that's really the one social network that I love, I'm a word person, you can find me at, at jpbrown5. I'm sure if you search okay. that, if you search mental health update, I'm going to find me. But jpbrown5 on Twitter. 
I'll be tweeting every day until, until I die. Probably. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, we're definitely better for it. And your content is great. And thank you again for all the work that you do in advocating for mental health and just all the great content that you put out. So I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity.